Lamentations chapter number 3. You don't hear much from the book of Lamentations. <clears throat> of course, Lamentations chapter number 3, 22 and 23 is, is pretty well known, and we sing uh, the song based on that, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But other than that, you don't hear much about the book of Lamentations. But it was written by Jeremiah, and he's lamenting the destruction of Jerusalem that he personally witnessed. And it has some very applicable truth for us today. Uh, a few months ago in my daily devotions, I was just reading through the Bible, I was struck by chapter 3, and I made notations to myself. There's a ton of truth and messages in this particular chapter. And then I sketched out... Uh, part of what we'll discuss this morning. We're going to read quite a bit here, um, just to get into the context, and we're going to read from verse number 1, clear to verse number 32. We won't cover all that today, but it'll give us the context uh, of uh, what's being said here. Lamentations chapter number 1, sorry, chapter number 3, verse number 1. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he is he turned. He turns his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set, in me, he hath set me in dark places as they that are, be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. And when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and set his, me as a mark for the arrow. He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter into my reins. I was in derision all my, to, I was a derision to all my people in their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones and hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forget prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. And my soul, hath my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the, the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence, because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him, and is filled full with reproach. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according 
to the multitude of his mercies. The text we'll be speaking concerning our text verse will be this morning, verse number 29. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there may be hope. We'll entitle this this morning, A Mouth in the Dust. A Mouth in the Dust. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would now take us where we need to go. We have sung your praises. We have reveled in your goodness. We have given our tithes and offerings. We have set our focus on thee. And Lord, we now come to hear from your spirit teaching us your word conforming us to the image of the Lord Jesus and changing us and convicting us of those things that are not part of that image. So, Father, do your perfect work in each heart and each life here this morning. For we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Oftentimes, plain speaking in life is needed. We sometimes like to do what the old-timers called hemming and hawing or beating around the bush. But oftentimes, when we do that, truth gets lost in the process. Plain speaking can be scary. It can be unsettling. It can even be offensive or irritating. But it has a way of putting truth right where we need it and making us deal with specific truths. So this morning, we're going to just go for some plain old, methodical, plain speaking and let the chips fall where they may. Four-point outline this morning, my five-point outline. Number one, the situation is desperate. The situation is desperate. That's plain enough, isn't it? You say, not really. What situation is desperate? And I say, take your pick. <laughs> isn't that the truth? Take your pick. I am not what anybody would call an optimist. But I'm also not a doom and gloom person. But you take a look around you, and you tell me, Give me one situation that is around us that is not desperate at this moment. The situation is desperate. You say, which one? Take your pick. Everywhere around us, it's desperate. I do not watch the news or listen to the news ever. But a person would be, have to be deaf and blind not to realize that our country is in a desperate situation. One would be hard-pressed to find any area of our country now that we would say is doing okay, much less really solid. It's a desperate situation right now. Those ills would probably be bearable, the ills of the country, if everything else was solid. But look at the world. Have you ever seen anything like it? 
this whole world is ready to come apart at the seams. Everywhere you look, you say, man, that is a desperate situation. The whole world is desperate. And even that would be bearable, I suppose, the world and the country, if other things were okay. But think about the rest of our life. One of the old-timers used to say, the world will always be worldly. That's a very good statement, by the way. The world will always be worldly. We keep expecting something else from them. But the world is always going to be worldly, and we could bear that if they were strictly desperate. But are not our churches in desperate situations these days? The things that, have been done, that are being done in the name of the Lord are shocking. The, sa- the forsaking of the assembling of ourselves together is epidemic. The light that should have been br- shining brightly in the world is almost imperceptible. Now it's easy to look at all the other churches and like Pharisees say, I'm sure glad I'm not like that guy. It's easy for us to say, oh, we're sure not glad we're not like that church. But I, it's just us here this morning. So let me give you some plain speaking. Four years ago, I wrote in my journal these words. I wrote, Lord, what am I after? What is success, quote unquote, in your eyes? What does victory look like in a church? Can you answer those questions? What does success look like? What is victory? What is a good church? I then answered my own question. An unused baptistry seems unacceptable. The lost around us, unevangelized, is not good. People merely sitting in the pews is unhealthy. Disunity amongst God's people of any kind is unacceptable. And dead worship is wrong and even sinful. Now if that list is anything like accurate, take a look around and say, tell me, the situation isn't desperate. But it goes farther than that. Anybody want to stand up here this morning and say, you know what? My family is doing great. Every single part of it. There's not one difficulty at all. There's no desperate needs in my family. The fact of the matter is evil lurks all around us. Sin is working its devastating havoc. Our loved ones are falling like clay pigeons at a shooting gallery. Our homes are under attack from every side and on the verge of collapse. And top it all off, we as God's people seem to be taking it all in stride like Nero who sat and played his fiddle while Rome burned. My friend, it's plain. It's unsettling. But the fact of the matter is it's undeniable. We find ourselves in a desperate situation. We might make out the case that it's always been so. 
And I would not debate that. But I see us right now as kind of like a car that's been full of rust. That fender's been rusty, but now it's kind of bubbling to the surface. Before you might have been ignorant of it, but now there is no denying it. You can see the rust pushing the paint right off the side of the vehicle. It's no longer deniable. The situation is desperate. That's point number one. Number two, there is still hope. There is still hope. I like the, the book, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. I don't know if you've ever read that book, but the three ghosts take Scrooge and show him all of his life. They show him all the despicable acts and all the selfish deeds. They show him all of these things. And then they show him what his end is going to be. And when they're all said and done, Scrooge is just totally devastated. And he cries out at the very last, Why would you show me these things if nothing can change? That is a legitimate question. Why would you torture me with this knowledge if I can't do anything about it? If, it's, if what it is, it is. Look, for us to sit here and discuss how desperate the world is would be of very little value. To rub our faces in the mistakes of the past and our short shortcomings just makes us miserable. And that's ridiculous. But the fact of the matter is, there is still hope. Amen. Now, ask yourself, why? Why is there hope? Why do we still have hope? Is it because you have always, almost always done everything that you should do? Is it because you are so valuable to God because of the work that you could eventually accomplish? Is it because God is so desperate that he has decided to give you another chance? Is it because next time you're sure to get it right? <laughs> right. The reason that there is still hope is laid out clearly in verse number 22. It is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Verse number 31, the Lord will not cast us off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercy. The reason there is still hope, my friend, is because of God's mercy. We have done enough to deserve destruction. We have let things go a lot farther than we should have. And if we were to be destroyed right now, it would be merely justice. But God's mercy has stayed his hand, and there's still hope. Because of him. The situation is desperate. Number two, there is still hope. Number three, the hope is not found in you. The hope is not found in you. Remember, we're doing some plain speaking here today. I could try to build up your self-confidence build up your self-worth and your pride and get you trying to work harder at this. I could try to motivate you to get out there and make your voice heard. I could get out there, get out there and do something. 
I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago that doesn't go to this church, and they were totally irritated with all the pastors in the country because we are not preaching about against the government and about COVID in all of our services. Now, there's a lot I could say about that. He wanted the pastors to motivate the people to rise up and demand to be heard, to flex our muscle and demand our rights. Well, I'll leave the answer to that to a different day. But let me ask you a question. Are the desperate situations in your life in spite of you or because of you? Are the desperate situations in your life in spite of you or because of you? In other words, you were doing everything that you should have done perfectly and this trouble just happened to you or because your own failures, you're reaping what you have sowed. My friends, we are the problem. You say, our society has gone wicked and I don't approve. True. But for the last 40 years, we didn't think being salt and light were that important. And when the world needed salt and light, what they got was us. And now that they are rotten and wicked, we're complaining about it. It's plain speaking. It's kind of unsettling, but it's the truth. We are the problem, not the solution. We have hope, but it's not found in us. The works of our own hands have brought us to this point of desperation. Using those same hands to try to fix the problem is ludicrous. We are not the solution. The hope is not found in you. Point one, the situation is desperate. Point two, there is still hope. Point three, the hope is not found in you. Point four, the hope is found in Jesus Christ. The hope is found in Jesus Christ. This is not a cliche. It's not religious rhetoric. It's not grasping at straws. It isn't just a pleasant thought. All hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here today and you're not sure if you're on your way to heaven, you know your sinful condition, you know uh, your sin cannot get you into heaven, everything you try seems to fall short, just leaves you more desperate. There's no hope for heaven for you, is the way you feel. It's a desperate situation. But my friend, there is hope. The hope is not found in you, the hope is found in Jesus Christ. His death on the cross pays your sin debt. There's nothing you can do. Your only hope of heaven is in Christ. If you're sitting here today, the only hope for your family is found in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you right now, your hands are not enough to protect your children in this world. Your wisdom is not enough to lead them. Your strength is not enough to keep them safe. If you don't believe that, check your track record so far. It's not enough. Your hope 
for your family is found in Jesus Christ. The hope of this church is not found in a more concerted effort. The hope of this church is not found in, a more, in better organization or better planning. The only hope this church has of being a model, a proper model of a New Testament church, is found in the person of Jesus Christ. The hope isn't in the pastors, the deacons, or the congregation. Our only hope of being what we should be is found in our Savior. The country is desperate. The answer is not found in electing different politicians. The answer isn't found in marching on Washington or flexing our might or demanding our rights. The only hope for this country is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Another politician or bill passed will prolong maybe the destruction, but the only real hope is found in the Lord. The situation is desperate. There is hope. The answer is not found in you. The answer is found in Jesus Christ. Point number five. Our part is clear. Our part is clear. You say, what am I supposed to do? How can I save my country, my family, my community? What do I need to do? The answer is clear. Verse number 29. He, that's you, or me, and me, putteth his mouth in the dust. If so be, there may be hope. What is the answer? It's clear. Put your mouth in the dust. You say, what? Put your mouth in the dust. Now, we're not talking about our counters at home where Carol didn't... Never mind, that's a whole different story. <laughs> Get your mind to work here. Get the mental image. How do you put your mouth in the dust, in the dirt? There's only one way to, there's two ways to do that. One, you can kneel flat with your face on the ground, or you can lay out prostrate and, and with your mouth. On, there's, that's the only way. You get on your face. That's what he's saying. You put your mouth in the dust. Can you get your mental picture? Can you see it? Laying flat on your face with your mouth in the dirt. You say, what does that do? What does that position represent? Well, let's walk through it very quickly. To have your face in the dust is one, letter A, a show of humility. Absolutely. It is a show of humility. When was the last time you saw anybody of importance in the world, quote unquote? Any actors, any businessmen, any politicians, any billionaires, any people, anybody that has. When was the last time you saw a picture of them laying flat in the dirt with their face in it? And the answer to that question is, you never have. Why? 
because that's not the image that we want to portray. We want the image of being somebody. We want to show our face and show our strength. We want to look each other in the eye. We want to meet on equal plane or a little higher than the other guy. My friend, this is how we've been trying to meet God. We've been trying to meet God with our pride still intact. We've been trying to meet God with our self-worth still showing. We have failed to recognize that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. It's interesting. I was, I, I was sure I was pretty sure I was speaking this morning on this, and I was just reading through the Bible, just reading, and I came across Jairus's daughter. Do you know what Jairus's daughter, Jairus did when his daughter was sick? He comes running out of the house and falls flat on his face at the Lord's feet. Why does he do that? He does that because he knows the Lord is the only hope he's got. He's got a desperate situation. His daughter's dying in there. And he knows. He don't come out and try to, hey, let me see what kind of money I can give you. Let me see how I can, you know, schmooze you to get you to do this. He knows that he's only got one chance, and that is absolute humility before the Lord. So he comes running out of his house and lays down flat on his face in front of the Lord, showing absolute humility. To have your face in the dust is a show of humility. B, it is a show of surrender. It is a show of surrender. Think back to your Bible, your Sunday school days. Remember Gideon? Gideon's got a too big of an army, and the Lord says, okay, we're going to narrow this down. So remember what they had him do. They had to go down to the river and drink, right? And they separated them. And the ones that, that lapped the water put their face in it, like a dog, they put over this side, and the ones that sat on their, you know, kind of kept up and used, just dipped with their hand, put in another group. The 300 were the ones that did this, keeping watch. Why? Because that's what a soldier would do, be very vigilant. He's in his fighting position. The other ones were not in a fighting position, right? And they kicked them out. When you put your face in the dust, you have left your fighting position. Nobody recommends that as a defensive position. I'm going to win by laying flat on my face. It is a show of surrender. What area of your life are you still defending? What area are you still resisting God and unwilling to give up? My friend, your only hope is in Christ, and you're going to have to put your mouth in the dust as a show of humility, a show of surrender. Let her see a show of reverence and worship. It is a show of reverence and worship. It's interesting, in the scriptures, almost every place where someone comes in contact with God, 
what, I, what is the re reaction immediately? Boom, on their face. Almost every time. They're almost always right on their face in reverence and worship. Read through it. It's, it's, read the classic passages on this, which is Revelations 4 and 5. And the elders go and lay prostrate before the Lord. Face down reverence is the norm. Now, if that's the case, what about this flippancy and casualness that we have with our contact with the Lord? How can that be? How can we come to God so casually and so flippantly? The only thing we can come up with, the only conclusion is, we're coming to a false god. Let that run through your mind. If any time anybody came in contact with the true living God, they fell on their face, when we are so casual and flippant, we must not be with him. We must be after dealing with somebody else. Because it cannot be. We must not worship a false god. For everywhere we find people interacting with Jehovah God, there is an absolute, on your face, in the dust, reverence. Can we expect the casual worship of a false god to have any effect on the desperate situation we find ourselves in? Let me say that again if you didn't catch that. Can we expect the casual worship of a false god have any effect on the desperate situation that we're in. It is only in the face, in the dust, worship of the one true God where our hope is found. Our face in the dust is a show of humility, a show of surrender, a show of reverence and worship. Letter D, our face in the dust keeps our own mouth shut. Our face in the dust keeps our own mouth shut. You know what? Nobody uses a multitude of words while they're laying face down in the dirt. The reality is we talk too much. In the book of Job, if you've read that, most of you are familiar with the book of Job, for almost 40 chapters, Job and his friends have at it each knocking each other to pieces. It's kind of painful to read, actually, for, for 40, 30-some chapters. In Job chapter number 40, God gets into the conversation. When they're all done talking, then God steps in and starts setting things straight. And in Job chapter number 40, Job says, I put my hand on my mouth. What does he mean? What he meant was, <laughs> I've been talking too much. I just spent the last 30-some chapters talking, and I should have kept my big mouth shut. But from now on, I'm keeping it shut. Yeah. I'm going to put my hand across it so I don't say another word. I talk way too much. My friend, 
is this not us? We complain about the things around us. We criticize the work that God is doing in our lives. We second guess his actions. We have the boldness to tell him what he ought to do and that he's not handling this thing quite right. If we had our mouths in the dust, we'd do a whole lot less talking and a whole lot more listening. A face in the dust shows humility, shows surrender, shows reverence and worship, keeps our mouth shut. Letter E, it demonstrates dependence. It demonstrates dependence. If you told your teenager to clean his room, and after an hour or so you went in there, and you found your teenager laying flat out on the floor, face down, would you assume that they were hard at work? You say, boy, you're doing a nice job. I don't care what they said to you about it. You would not assume that they were hard at work cleaning their room. Because face down flat is not a working position. Right? It might be positions for other things, but it's not a working position. <laughs> if they heard your footsteps, they'd be up and quick throwing their stuff out into the closet. When they're laying, when you lay out flat, you are not in a working position. And when we put our mouth in the dust, we show God total dependence. We're saying to God, well, think about Jairus here. Jairus' daughter is sick. Then what does he do? Well, he's come to the end of himself, by the way. All of his medical knowledge, all of the things that he could try, all of his, his work that he can do. And now what does he do? He runs out and lays on the ground in front of Jesus Christ. He's saying, you know what? There's nothing else I can do here. There, I have no more knowledge. There's no, nothing else to try. I'm done here. I am totally dependent upon you. He's not in a working position for his daughter. What he's doing is saying, you are my only hope. This is the position we need before the Lord. Not in our working position. Well, Lord, bless the things that I'm going to try to make happen in this country to, so it'll be good. Or bless the things I'm going to do to my family to make them turn out right. But a laying flat before God with our face in the dirt saying, total dependence on you. I have nothing. You're the only answer that there is. This is what we show with our face in the dust. We're ceasing to rely on our own works, our efforts, our ideas, our plans, and we depend on the only hope that we actually have. Your mouth is in the dust. Shows humility, surrender, reverence and worship. Keeps your mouth shut. It shows dependence. Letter F, it shows the temporality of life. It shows the temporality of life. When God made man, he made him out of the dust of the ground. Now, that was interesting in the Bible reading this morning when John was reading. He says, he knoweth our frame. It is but dust. You know, when you're sitting up, 
the lights of the world seem pretty bright. The things of this life and the, the, the things that they've got going on and all of the different events and the, the, the promotions and the pleasures and all that. When you're sitting up, all of those things have some attraction. But when you are face down in the dust and you realize that what's on your lips is what everything is going back to, it came from dust and it's returning to dust. You get a whole new perspective on what life should be like. We get so enamored with this world. Why? Because we are not laying with our face in the dust, realizing how temporary all of this is. And what we have to do is get into that position so that we demonstrate to God humility surrender reverence and worship a mouth that's quiet total dependence and a temporal temporality of life my goal this morning is not to be negative I'm not negative at all actually the world we live in is a very negative place, if you haven't noticed. But the fact of the matter is, desperate as it is, there is hope. And the hope is not found in you, which I'm glad for. The hope is not found in me, which I'm really glad for. The hope is found in Jesus Christ. And our part in this is very clear. Put your mouth in the dust. The question is, will you just keep complaining and worrying, or will you take the only hope that we actually have? Put your mouth in the dust.